You're listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican-American and Latina Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican-American Studies. Join us for this episode of Latin Experts. Following the murder of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police, protests swept the U.S. and countries around the world. While people were taking to the streets and to social media to say that Black Lives Matter, many reggaeton artists, particularly the genre's biggest stars, were curiously silent. How do we explain this? Why does a genre born out of Afro-diasporic musical traditions and cultures need a reckoning about race? In this episode, we'll discuss reggaeton's past and present to unpack what makes reggaeton black music and what the genre must do to combat racism, including within its own ranks. And I'm really excited for our guests for today, one of my favorite reggaeton historians and an amazing person that everyone listening to this should be following on social media if they're not already. But uh, we're here with La Gata. So, Gata, can you introduce yourself and, and tell folks a little bit about yourself and your work? First and foremost, I am very happy to be here. Que sopa, Marisol. <laughs> que sopa. Thank you for having me. I'm Catalina Eccleston, or La Gata, however you know me. I am a 26-year-old uh, reggaeton historian and executive producer who I... I love reggaeton, you know? I say that music saved my life, and it, it has, you know? Um, and that's the degree of which it's affected me personally. Professionally, I found myself in a very difficult time in my life, and while I decided to go back to school, I figured, huh, what if I, you know, dive into reggaeton in a way that's intellectual? Has anyone done this? And ironically, that's when I find your work, Marisol, and that of <laughs> Petri um, Rivera Ridu, of course, and Raquel Cepeda, etc. And, um, you know, I just pretty much wanted to continue the conversation and uh, create content based off of uh, these nuances. And thus we have reggaeton colagata, and that's a little bit about me. Awesome. And I love that idea of music saved my life. And the, you know, I think that's an important way for us to get started with this conversation to really highlight, you know, the stakes, right? The stakes of what we're talking about here and talking about these situations, uh, not as something that's frivolous or not as something that, you know, as something that we need to take seriously. So I love the way you, you frame that. So part of what we're trying to get at in this episode is the seeming contradiction between a genre that's understood as Black or at least heavily indebted to Black musical traditions being silent on issues affecting Black folks around the globe. Um, And in particular, as we saw from the summer, issues of police violence, state violence. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the the origins of the genre. I know you've done a ton of work around this. And tell us, how did the origins of the genre genre help us to understand how reggaeton came to be associated with Blackness and what are the ways in which it drew from Afro-diasporic cultures? Um, absolutely. And I love this question simply because I feel like 
there's such a disconnect. It's funny, you know, today you turn on TV, you see some of the biggest and brightest artists dressed in the same way that you would see like rappers on BET, you know? There's a translation in, in the fashion and the aesthetics, yet there's there's a disconnect in the culture and that people, you know, make the excuse of, of language being one of the biggest barriers, but I, I think that's false, no? And I say that because in reference to this question, simply it's a repetition of history, no? Hip hop was born out of the civil rights movement. In Panama, we had a dictator. There were artists who um, literally said, you know what? Um, in society, they don't want to respect us as Panamanians because we're speaking our patois, etc. We're going to sing reggae in español. In Puerto Rico, there was mano dura. It's just a repetition of people saying, oh, enough with the status quo. We're going to do our own shit. <laughs> Basically, you know, like we're going to, you know, we're going to fight pain with passion, with art, with music. And essentially, you know, it's coming from a very black place. It's coming from marginalization, from disenfranchisement, from pain, you know? So I hope that best answered your question. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the thing that I love about your work also, uh, and I wonder if we could talk about this a little bit too, is also, you know, these kind of cultural exchanges really drawing on black experiences of migration too, right? Because I think this is the thing that's really important to keep in mind when we're talking about reggaeton too is it gets kind of cast as almost just this kind of Spanish language copycat right of hip-hop or reggae and there's this way in which reggaeton and all of its kind of precursors whether we're talking about reggae in Espanol or underground right they really draw on um, these kind of experiences with migration and diaspora so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. I think that, you know, to, an to a certain extent, I don't blame people for having those uh, feelings, no, because there is a sort of formula, no, to how reggaeton is created. But granted, I, I just really hope that, o sea, real reggaeton fans know that all reggaeton doesn't sound the same, that it, it is simply more complicated than that. Reggaeton is the son or daughter, right, <laughs> of hip hop, of dembo, of, excuse me, of R&B, of bomba, you know, of all of these different genres. And I often compare reggaeton to hip hop, no? Hip hop, there's so many different subgenres, alternative, avant-garde, emo, electro, etc. And reggaeton, if you want to break it down, right? Because there's reggaeton and there's perreo. <laughs> um, and people often uh, confuse the two. Reggaeton, I call reggaeton the manifestation of the whitewashing of perreo. Perreo is black. Perreo is black at its core. Perreo is consisted of, of bomba, of hip-hop, of reggae. When you want to make it hey, when you want to make the, the trend, that's when you're leaning more towards reggaeton. All perreo is reggaeton, but all reggaeton is not perreo, you know? And people don't, they don't get that. Um, I feel like essentially... Um, you know, all of this ties into the mestizaje of, of Latinidad, um, you know, the unification of La Raza and, you know, how we're all one peoples, all one people, on all one sound. And this gets translated into the music as well. So to an extent, I don't blame people for, for misinterpreting this and not understanding this into its core. I'm a dork for this. So this is what <laughs> I, I eat, sleep and, you know, um, this all day and night. But essentially, 
you know, it's, it's far more complex than that. And, and yeah. I love that distinction of um, all, all reggaeton is, is not the same as pejreo, right? And, and really marking this distinction. So what do you see as the difference, right? So you're like, pejreo is black, right? And it's coming out of these kind of black experiences. What, what do you see? How, how do we make this distinction? Break it down for folks who, who might not even know what pejreo is. What is the difference? Pejreo's twerk music. <laughs> <laughs> It is, no? Um, and that's that's part of the reason why it was so policed, why people were so upset with it, no? Um this is this is your alley, right? When everybody was trying to um, you know, really police Puerto Ricans on how to walk, how to talk, how to act, what to listen to, what not to listen to. A part of that is, you know, the idea of policing bodies, you know? Um, the idea of uh, you know, comportándose, of of acting a certain way. And that that you know, the real anger behind that is the twerking. It's right. so vulgar, right? Why do you have to dance like that? Whereas, you know, that's inherently extremely black, <laughs> you know? Um, none of that comes from Europe. I would love to think of King Henry, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> twerking during the, what, 16th century, whatever. Um, that's inherently black, you know? And that's that, I feel, is the, the huge distinction between perro and reggaeton. Reggaeton was created to you know, basically get away from that type of dance and get away from everything that supports that type of dance and that type of aesthetic, no? Uh, but what happens now? Now it's popular to to throw in the word perreo. It's like a buzzword of sorts. And some people don't really understand what it means and its political context. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Those are, that's when we get these, these moments in media, no? Where... <laughs> Um, artists are calling themselves bichota and don't even know what that means. And, you know, uh, but essentially that's exactly what this phenomenon is in in short. <laughs> yeah, and I know one of your big campaigns, right, is to bring Pejreo back and get music sucio again, right? Yes. So <laughs> I am all into that. And if we have time, we could we could, um, we could could talk a little bit about that. But I think this is an interesting kind of, um, you know, duality that you're kind of bringing us to, which I think gets us into a little bit around the, the events of the summer and, you know, the kind of deafening silence, right, or, of some of the kind of... Um, big name artists and reggaeton around Black Lives Matter. But, you know, what I think you're kind of pointing to is the way that there's this kind of um, effort to kind of uh, really desexualize the genre in certain ways, right? Which is not to say that the genre is devoid of sexuality. We know it's not, right? But this, these kind of um, certain kinds of um, pleasures in the body, right? Certain kinds of um, ways of, of comportment, right? As you pointed out. And with that, there also becomes this kind of eclipsing not only of certain kind of movements or comportment of the body, but also certain kind of bodies, right? And we start to see this kind of um, whitening of, of the genre, right? And, you know, one of the alternative titles that I was playing around with for our... Um, discussion today was what's up with all these blanquitos and reggaeton, right? <laughs> so we start to see this kind of uh, whitewashing and and kind of almost like a cookie cutter mold in some in some sense, right? That marks, I think, what we're talking about in terms of this um, post boom moment of kind of the early two thousands to to right now, right? So let's kind of get into a little bit around 
what happened this summer and, and these responses that we've seen from reggaetoneros in response to the uprisings uh, for Black Lives this summer. So, you know, on the one hand, we have Rafa Pavon coming out with his song Sin Aire or Without Air, where he tackles head on these questions of criminalization of blackness and the deadly power of the police. Um, and then on the other hand, you have folks like J Balvin, who posted a video on Instagram of him dancing with a black woman and saying Black Lives Matter, followed by Latino Lives Matter and then All Lives Matter. Uh, you had Carol G posting a picture of her dog uh, that has like black and white fur being like this is a perfect mixture of races and we can all get along. And then you had the ultra horrible, cringy uh, Cascuela kind of response that was um, all about how black folks in Puerto Rico aren't like black folks in the U.S. Um, they don't come from the same place. They don't have the same problems and uh, discounting kind of black experiences of racism uh, in Puerto Rico. So you have that on, on the one hand and then you have complete silence. So we saw a lot of silence from, uh, you know, Bad Bunny, for instance, who's been outspoken on a number of issues, including uh, gender and sexuality, but did not speak out until very late on these questions of Black Lives Matter. So what do you see is happening here? Can you break down? How can we think about these responses? I feel like these artists are product of their environment. And I don't say that lightly because I feel like every single person, every individual on this planet, they're responsible for themselves, no? So yes, you have a team around you who's supposed to tell you, you know, what's right and wrong. It's what PRs are for. And, but to another extent, you know, you are responsible for yourself and what you know and what you don't know, right? So I'll, I'll just go ahead and start there because I've been in these situations and <laughs> these conversations since, uh, you know, this article where, you know, people sort of look at me like, Gata, what do you do? <laughs> Gata, you know, how do I not not be racist? I'm so scared of cancel culture, you know, and quite frankly, I hate cancel culture myself. I feel like essentially this is a product of el mestizaje. Nobody had to care until now, until the finger was pointed onto the, the industry at large Nobody cared about if Negros were included or excluded from Latinidad, right? There's always this Las Tres Razas or Mi Musica No Decrimina or, you know, like these these unification freaking speeches that are, are tied into these mass brandings and ultimately gaslights the experiences of, of Black Latinos. I say this, yes, as a consumer. I say this, you know, on behalf of the artists who are in the industry who have told me in confianza that they don't feel comfortable speaking on negritude and their pride for negritude in the presence of so many blancos because, you know, it's it's the balance. There's a huge imbalance in regards to who's behind a lot of these artists. Essentially, I don't make light of George Floyd's death because it is ridiculously violent and ridiculously traumatizing I, I am aware of police brutality myself, um, so I, I don't say the following lightly, but granted, this moment in this market, in this industry, is, is an opportunity to really you know, hold the mirror upwards and really look inside it and dive deep into what it is that we know and don't know collectively and individually. There's, there's really so much more to say. Essentially, we need to start, and I say we because yes, 
there are blanquitos who fail to acknowledge the existence excuse me, of negros. On the other hand, there is a sort of anti-blackness within the black community as well. Should they be compared? Absolutely not, because one is, one is structural, the other is individual. You know, they, they can't compare. But on the other hand, it's, it's to speak volumes as to the amount of work that there is to do, no? Because there's a lot of people who subscribe to these issue these uh these brandings of latinidad in order to gaslight themselves into thinking that the world isn't as bad as we know it is no my my mom i think of her when i say this because i you know she i had to teach her on on 13th of ava duvernay and stuff like that you know like it's it's something that you know there's multiple layers here that need to be analyzed and essentially i i'm very grateful for this moment and that now the mirror is up, people are, are looking out and, you know, I hope that, you know, there's a less of a fear of, of cancel culture or saying the wrong thing because there needs to be an honesty throughout this process of, of re-educating. Right. And I think this is so critical, this kind of question, because I think this came up during the kind of discussions over the summer, right? Like when Jay Balvin put up that post and got kind of, you know, roasted online for it. And his kind of response was, you know, you all critique me, but no one's teaching me. Right. And so I think there's this way in which, you know, you use this phrase that they're products of this their environment. Right. And there is this sense. Right. This kind of dominant mode of Latinidad that is about um, this notion as if there's no information out there about blackness, right? There's no information, but this kind of mestizaje discourse around racial mixing and racial harmony and all of this kind of stuff that, you know, we don't need to talk about blackness because everybody's black, right? Because everybody's mixed, right? That occludes these kind of structural um, uh, problems of racism, right? Within um, Latin American and Latino contexts, right? And so this notion that like, um, somebody needs, like, whose responsibility is it to do that work, right? And this notion that um, it the onus is on Black folks to do that work, right? This became a kind of major tension that I think came up this summer, right, where there was pushback on a lot of these white Latino or Latin American artists to be accountable, right, for interrogating, even if they're coming up within this kind of environment of, you know, this dominant mode of, of mestizaje in Latinidad to 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 really interrogate that, right? And I think some artists kind of did that and and some didn't, right? And some kind of acted like that information is new to them, right? This is kind of what we saw a little bit in that interview with Bad Bunny where he was like, it never occurred to me that uh, Tego Calderon uh, was marginalized in any way within within the industry, right? Um, because I think he's the man. Uh, and not kind of seeing, being completely blind, right, to some of those kind of structural um, inequalities that are happening, right? So, you know, I think there's, there's a lot that's happening, too, in terms of also connecting what I think these debates around, like, canceling Latinidad, right? Do we cancel Latinidad? Do we need something new, right? If Latinidad is kind of, it it reproduces these exclusions, right? So I was thinking also, you know, and if if you want to share your thoughts on this, also, I think one of the questions that, you know, you're talking about this moment of, of opportunity or for at least transforming kind of 
the dominant paradigms in the genre, right? And so, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about is this question of, like, uh, Latino gang, right? And who fits into to Latino gang and how that's kind of something that's that this moment is, you know, I think giving us a chance to kind of think about or push back on. What do you think about that? Um, such a hard question, Marisol. I know, sorry. And there's, like, 500 different parts to it, but... <laughs> Any any one of them you want to take, go for it. (laughs) It's cool. It's cool. I'm glad that you brought up Latino gang because I feel like, I feel like there's a part to it that actually comes from a good place. Right. Um, You know, we are a collectivistic culture and an individualistic society, at least here in the United States. No, Uh, it's why there's so much emphasis on branding ourselves as, you know, unidos y todo mm-hmm. para la familia, and, you know, et cetera. So I feel like, you know, there, there's a, a part of me <laughs> who is guilty of, uh, you know, wanting to like Latino gang. But what's the problem? The problem is anti-negritud, mm-hmm. you know? The problem is anti-negritud. Some people won't even say the word black, you know? That's where we have to start. Some people... You know, like Bad Bunny at, um, admitting, and I'm so grateful that he admitted that, right? So everybody mm-hmm. can read that. People can process that. This, you know, you know, look at. I don't want to call him white. What is he? How about? I, I don't know what <laughs> word to use. You know, he's whiter than me. Okay, the <laughs> blanquito um, for all intents and purposes with everything I just said was clueless. You know, having grown up on the island as to the experience of that of Tego Calderon, who also grew up on the island. You know. Of, of people around him who have this completely different experience, no? I feel like essentially a Latino gang, it's cute, right? It's cute. I, I can, you know, it's cute. <laughs> but essentially, like, the, the bottom line is anti-negritude is so pervasive in this culture. It's, it's so frowned upon. It's, it's so misunderstood, uh, by blancos, just so I'm um, clear, because negros, we don't have that luxury of, of not knowing that we're black, right? I know it every time I walk into a bodega and, and the guy's talking to me in English when I talk to him in Spanish, mm-hmm. right? And that's here in the United States. In, in Panama, it might not be that, but I might be followed around the bank, right? I might be kicked out of the bank for being too freca, for showing my shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it shows itself in different ways. And there's this gaslighting, like, like I said before, that we do to ourselves to kind of, you know, tell ourselves that the world isn't as bad. And Latino gang essentially feeds into that because it's like, oh, tu sabes que, the end of the day, we're Latino, so life is great, you know? Um, <laughs> and it's like, okay, it might be for you, but it might, it very well is not for, for a lot of negros, no? Um, Diablo Marisol, this is a really hard question. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I feel you because I think it, it is this question too, like the work that that does, right? It is this kind of marker to say like, to acknowledge, right? Latinos, Latino artists are in some ways marginalized within like mainstream recording, right? The mainstream music industry. So we saw a lot of this organizing around, you know, the Latin Grammys and the marginalization of, of reggaeton or urbano, whatever kind of folks want to, and we can get into that kind of um, 
discussion about Urbano in a minute too, but you know, I think there's a way, right, in which that flags, right, that that position where Latino artists aren't given access to the same kind of resources or airplay and stuff like that, but then it does cover up, I think, those kind of inequalities that you're flagging, right, that exist that exist within the Latino community, right? It reinforces this notion of um, all Latinos experiencing that structural inequality in the same way, right? And we know that, you know, a daddy Yankee versus a Don Omar or, or a Teo Calderon, they're not experiencing the music industry in the same way, right? Or accessing the music industry in the same way. I love what you just mentioned in the acknowledgement of, of you know, structural racism, because I feel like that's a solid place where I can land too. There, I've had multiple, and I mean multiple conversations with Blanquitos in the industry recently. And, and I'll give you, I guess, an insider because, I mean, what the heck? <laughs> after George Floyd was killed, after I wrote this article, I found myself in multiple, I mean, multiple Zoom calls with executives all over the Latin music industry. And they're like, what do we do? And, you know, there's been professors, there's been black artists who've, who've taken on all of these, all of this emotional labor to pretty much explain to these huetos, these blanquitos, what structural racism is. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, a part of me wasn't shocked, but another part of me is like, damn, <laughs> you know, like, this speaks volumes as to the lack of access, the lack of representation, the, you know, it, it just, it solidifies everything that we all know is true, right? There are no negras in reggaeton. Why? People don't see it as a problem. People don't understand that structural racism exists. They don't understand that it translates not only just from the U.S., but that it's global, no? That it is something that exists in Latin America as well. It might be in different nuances and different contexts as well, but it's very pervasive, excuse me, in the Latin music industry as well, you know? And so essentially, you know, moving even into the, you know, the concept of, of Urbano, right? Which I have expressed that I am trying to get rid of in my vocabulary. Right. What that stems from, essentially, and what that was inspired from is, you know, Republic Records, their statement. They said, you know what? We can do more to diversify the genres of which we represent. We are our artists. We're no longer using it. I said, yes, this is a moment where Latin music industry can, can do this as well. Why not, right? If we're canceling Latinidad, if we're trying to better ourselves and have more honest conversations about what's being created and what's not, why not, you know? Uh, and so I, I make the suggestion of El Movimiento because it's not as foreign as, you know, one would think. What do we say? El movimiento urbano. We're just cutting off urbano, you know? I feel like it, you know, long, down the road, it can really play a testament to the dignity that go into all of these individual genres that are constantly trying to be fused in together, right? People want to put reggaeton and, and merengue together so bad and not even allow both genres to exist in the same plane like Mayor Que Yo did so long ago and, and to allow it to have its dignity in the process, right? It ends up being a pop, you know, all for the sake of Latinidad. I know there's people who, who still don't understand this concept of, of you know, the different subgenres that reggaeton has really been able to put out into the world because of this formula that, you know, that is very pervasive now. I, I call it a papeton, you know? Right. I feel like, and I, I don't mean to rant, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like essentially there's just so much education that needs to be done 
on all different levels. And really what, what's sad is that a lot of these people in, in positions of power, they're you know so powerful that they have the option to opt out of this conversation to really gaslight persons such as myself into thinking that, you know, this isn't a real problem or, you know, deterring me from trying to even have this type of conversation. And because it, it boils down to money. This is industry. This is, you know, people are after the dollars. But to that I say, and I always say it, hip hop is worth $10 million, right? According to the RIA. And the Latin music industry, apparently we just completed, what, $550 million? Which, don't get me wrong, that's not a nickel. <laughs> that's more than I have right now. But granted, when we compare it, that's a percentage, you know? And since reggaeton is, is a son of, of, or daughter, of hip-hop, why aren't we trying to make these steps in, into making it more inclusive, more outspoken, more you know, diverse, you know, and to not tokenize artists in the process. Because I'm seeing a lot of that lately, too. I know that Rafa Pabon made right. that song, but I felt like it was really good timing, no? I, I feel like that was that was perfect timing for the situation. Yeah, so let's get into that point about kind of tokenizing, right? Because I think that's one of the things that has been a persistent problem, I think, for Black artists within the genre, right? We, we saw that happen with Tego, right? So anytime anyone wants to talk about uh, Blackness and reggaeton, it, they're talking about Tego, right? Um, and, and, he, and he becomes this kind of singular stand-in, right? And we could talk about it in the same way that people, when they want to talk about gender in reggaeton, talk about Evie Queen, right? She becomes this kind of singular stand stand in, right? Um, which I think speaks to this impulse that you're talking about, right? Where we have to think about the music industry, right? And the ways in which the music industry also structures who's allowed a place at the table. But, you know, you said something, you did this excellent kind of interview in this Washington Post piece that um, came out that we'll link to in the show notes. But one of the things that you talked about, and that was you want to stop having to mention such as uh, as the only artist like or always having to talk about the work that he's doing right in terms of um you know talking about black lives matter or being visible as a black artist um in the genre right so th this problem of of tokenization has been a persistent one and what, what what can we do about this what do you what are your thoughts on this you know i feel like this is one of the questions i've I've been, I've really been stuck on because on one end you want such to get all his flowers. Right. But on the other end, you don't want him to, you know, I, I'm laughing at how many ads I'm seeing him in on my phone, <laughs> you know, just this, this year alone. And it's like, you want him to get his flowers. You don't want him to get his flowers just because of this. What he's creating is excellent. So you want that excellence to speak for itself. But unfortunately it's the, the scales are so imbalanced that you know, this is what's going to continue to happen. So we add more black people, right? We add more black artists. And then they'll they'll do that to like, kind of like shut us up. You see, we, we add more and more, more negros. Like you see, like they're, they're getting their awards left and right, you know? And it's like, this is, I don't know how to answer this question. I'm gonna keep it honest with you. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like diversity is not the answer. It goes way past that, you know? I really don't know how to answer this question. And it honestly, it saddens me because, you know, essentially, if only it were that easy, no? I can only imagine what someone as 
dark and I don't call him fat. I call him fluffy as fluffy <laughs> as such is, is experiencing, you know, as Goyo, Chokitown, you know, Rafa Pavon, I see him rising, but mm -hmm. I'm questioning why, you know, and if people are saying for every, you know, I love my threads on Twitter <laughs> for every, what, a hundred Blanquitas, you see like a Goyo, you know, it's, it's a very difficult question to answer. And that's, that's where my, my mind is, if I'm going to speak honestly. Yeah. So you mentioned Goyo. So let's talk about this kind of, you know, there's a way in which we're talking about Black artists being marginalized as, as reggaeton has gone pop, right? But Black women are hit doubly hard by this, right? This kind of exclusion that exists within the genre, right? So it's not only kind of, um, we see these racial exclusions, but also it's a historic, what's historically been a male-dominated jo uh, genre, right? It's... Um, so there, can we get into some of these challenges that uh, black women are facing in the genre? Because, I mean, this has come up, right, with uh, Rosalia, right, and her kind of um, uh, rise to fame and, and, you know, folks kind of pointing out the way in which it was easy for her to break into the scene as someone who is, uh, you know, a white artist from Spain who sang up until recently, you know, kind of fusion flamenco music, right? So it was easier for her to break into the genre than a lot of um, Black uh, women have experienced in the genre. So what do you make of this? Black women in this industry, wow. First of all, the misogynoir, Black women in general, in, in the Latin American context, in the Latino context, we are not humanized. We're not humanized. We're not seen as dainty. We're not seen as desirable. We're an afterthought. You know, la, la negra esa. You know, it's it's derogatory. It's We're so vulgar without doing anything. We don't have any innocence. Children and women alike, there's, there's no innocence ever. You know, black women, we don't we don't stand a chance. We can't even be in the front of music videos. We gotta be off the side. <laughs> you know, to say that, you know, yes, we included one. There's diversity. Aren't you happy? You know, like we have to always accept the bare minimum. Goyo, I am grateful to have interviewed her recently and to touch base with basis with her and, and really understand how she's feeling in this moment because She's another one. She's getting her flowers, but I have to question why. She's also questioning why. I outwardly um, asked her, how do you feel about tokenizing? And, mm -hmm. you know, she's she's responded to me directly that, you know, she's in agreement. Diversity is not enough, you know, because if you don't see black women, you can't understand black women. Therefore, you can't respect black women. And that's essentially what's happening in, that's what happens in Latino culture, in this industry, in this market, in this music. Right. So, you know, we're running, we're running out of time. I feel like uh, I wish we had like 10 hours more <laughs> to get into all of this because this has been so fantastic. And, you know, I always feel like I learn uh, so much from you. So I'm, I'm really grateful um, for the conversation. So before we wrap up, is there anything um, you want to tell folks out there that are listening to this podcast? Um, any last words? I would like to say to really try to put yourself into the shoes of these black creatives, the few that exist in this market, to really, you know, yes, hold them accountable. I'm not saying to praise nonsense, no, uh, but to really give them their flowers when the moments present themselves. 
because they deserve all of the support that they can get because it is minimal, you know, um, so that the industry can see that it's not just them putting an effort to shut up the naysayers, but that the people actually want this. And, and that's what I'll say. Awesome. Thank you so much. Got that. Uh, tell folks uh, where they can find you on social media. What's Give them your Twitter handles uh, just because I, f- I feel like you got like one of the best Twitters out there right now for talking about these issues around kind of Latinidad, race and reggaeton, all of this. Oh, Marisol, you're too nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For those of you tuning in, you can find my work on all social media platforms at Reggaeton Colagata, Bilingual, a podcast, basically commentary. Uh, Perreo 101, Perreo 101, it's in English and Spanish. Check out reggaetoncolagata.com where I'm basically putting the inner workings of my brain into multiple (laughs) pages. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time out. Um, This was really fantastic. No, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks. Hi, all. This is Ashley Nava Monteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page Follow us at Latino Studies UT to keep the conversation going.